That's right. Mm. Hey guys, it's Lavetta and it's Miriam. And this is the Notorious Women Podcast, a comedy podcast about some of history's most notorious women. That's right. That's right. Guess what, Miriam? What's up? Guess what, Miriam? What, what's up? I'm home. I'm back in L.A., bitches. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. I'm getting my life, uh, even though we just had an earthquake. Uh, yeah, like 40 seconds ago. Yeah. So uh, thank you. So but I mean, <laughs> it's still beach Florida, bitches. Listen, that's the <laughs> Lord welcoming you back to California. OK. He's like, Lavetta, I'm so excited. I'm shaking, you know, and then is that God's voice? Is that wrong? <laughs> no, because God's voice would be what we would call femme nowadays. You know, God's voice. It's them, okay? God's, we all know it. God's like, Lavetta girl, yes, you do not belong in Florida. <laughs> Thank you. She's back. Oh, oh, Lordy, I'm so glad I survived Florida. Listen, uh, I, y'all, I texted her so many times the day she was flying back. I was like, <laughs> you did it. Did. Only did. You're like, are you back yet? You're back I was yet? like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, did you have to, do you have to change planes? Are you at least like in Dallas? I don't know, you know? <laughs> My flight was pretty good back. I will say I've experienced something that I never experienced. Like I'm, I'm one of those people. Like I want to go to space. I'm totally yeah. when it becomes a tourist thing. I'm totally going to space. I'm definitely I not. might die in space. Okay, but listen, I'm a trackie. I'm going to space. Okay, so, yeah, fun. Um, I actually like flying. Uh, I'm so glad I don't have, like, I'm not. I don't have a fear of flying. Uh. But so I usually when we're landing or, you know, we're de- uh, starting the descent, I usually will open the window and look out because yeah. I love to see like the view. And so this time I did that on my layover and we were it was so cloudy. And so flying in the clouds Ooh, cool. was a little disconcerting. Okay. At, at first it was like really, really cool. Yeah, but like it was it. a little disconcerting at first because you're like how do they see like, you know, cause it's, it's one thing if you pass through it really quickly, but if you're in it for like 10 seconds, you're like, what is going on? This is a big cloud, but it was really, really cool. Um, I never thought about that. That never occurred yeah. to me that what I'm seeing clouds. So is the pilot. Thanks a lot. <laughs> yes. Thanks a lot. Okay. I mean, thank God they have other tools too navigate and they have people on the ground helping them to navigate you're just trying to make me also, feel better you're just trying to make me feel better also, you see other planes like far away like that are going in the other direction and like but it was so i i'm that person like i, I totally again i'm going to space okay when yeah i'm going to space so text, it's okay te- if i die text me when you get there okay <laughs> send pics oh i cannot <laughs> wait so Anyway, happy Black History Month. That's right. Um, some foolishness has already started, uh, not during Black History Month. Uh, but, you know, this is America, so foolishness is always um, flying about when yep. it comes to black peoples. Um, but I am determined to have a great Black History Month. And I think I'm going to get my black card back because uh, I actually... yes. I'm covering a black woman this week for my notorious woman. Love that. Um, you know, uh, before we get started, though, guys, remember to follow us on all the things. Uh, copy the link for this podcast and share it with your friends and family. Copy the link and send and it to send. them. Don't just tell them about it. Copy the link, 
Send it and to again, me. y'all, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Okay. Yeah. I know it's hard sometimes because depending on the kind of phone or device you have. No, this one's easy. Copy the link and send it to them. And also, if you're watching us on YouTube, subscribe and, you know, follow us so you get notifications when we have new episodes dropping. Okay. Uh, so let's get started. I am first this week. Okay. Dukes. Uh, so I, you know, I'm trying to find some fabulous black women. Of course, I, uh, wanted to a murderess because I love a murderess. You do, you do. Um, but I was like, yeah, I was like, you know, let's, let's do something different. So this week I am covering Belle DaCosta Green. Do you know who that is? No, maybe. I, I hadn't either. Okay. I actually was scrolling on Twitter. Uh, oh. It's not X, it's Twitter. It's Twitter. Um, and, or maybe formerly, the app formerly known as Twitter. Is it like Twixter? Like Twixter? No. Is that what people say? I don't know. No. I literally just made it up. But like, like, if everyone starts saying that, I would like money somehow. Thank you. <laughs> I would like money somehow. People say like patented or credit for it. No, I just want the money. You could just hand me a check like and I will leave you alone. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's going to be my new motto for 2024. I would like money somehow. <laughs> um, also, actually, before I get started with uh, Belle DaCosta Green, this is our last episode of this season, of season four. I, no. Can you believe it? No, I can't. Dang. Yep. Yep. That's yep. crazy. Four seasons. So four seasons. Four seasons of my shenanigans you've been putting up with. That's right. Uh, it's exhausting. Um, <laughs> I'm a perfect human. So yes. you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> my husband somewhere right now is crying and he doesn't know why. He's just crying. <laughs> Poor he can feel the universe shifting in a bad way, you know? <laughs> I I would say uh, that lie you just told Miriam, you should move slightly to the right because, you know, the universe or God or right. whatever you oh, believe yeah. may strike you down. I'm like, just I'm kidding. Just... I'm imperfect, obviously. Okay. <laughs> no, you're perfect in my eyes. Oh. But yes, we're on. This is our 13th episode. So this is the end of season four. Uh, so again, uh, thanks for rocking with us. We really appreciate you guys. And let's get into it. Yes. So, All right. Belle DaCosta Green was born Belle Marion Greener on December 13th, 1883 in Washington, D.C. Uh, side note, some people think she may have actually been born on November 26, 1879, but there's a disagreement among most historians, so most side <laughs> yeah. with the 1883 date. Okay. So, um, so there's just so much of that, that in history, especially, especially back then. Yeah. They didn't keep records as much as they did. Um, as well as they actually not probably up until the fifties or the sixties, they start keeping Unless better Unless you records, were a rich actually. white person, they knew exactly right. the hour you were born, what sign you were, your rising moon. They knew everything if you were a rich white person. But other than that. Yeah. And exactly. Cause you also had like personal historians and, and, right. and personal biographers. Yep. And so, which, 
which is also going to play into this story a little bit. Uh-oh. So, um, but the the agreed upon date is December thirteenth, eighteen eighty three. Okay. Now, her father, Richard T. Greener, was a Harvard trained lawyer, and he actually was the first black man to graduate from Harvard. Really. In 1870. You know what I'm surprised about? That they let a black man in Harvard in 1870. Back then, they used to, like, let one or two in. Um, I'd really like to know, like, what their experience was. You know, occasionally you'll see someone like, oh, they graduated from Cornell or they graduated from Yale. And it's like 18. And you're like, really? And it's like one. Oh, Um, now, their diversity so program. Though. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, or they didn't really think that I would I would think that they probably just didn't think black people uh, not only were not smart enough to get in in their eyes, but also would even think to apply. Because, again, this is right after the Civil War. Right. So right after the Civil War, a lot of black people, um, especially in the South, started so many schools and colleges yes. that they had to name a HBCUs, historically black colleges. And so a lot of them were starting right away because again, black people don't want to be around white people nope. either. I think people forget that because you're like, why they, they clucking, ku clucking around. Nobody want to be dealing with this shit. So to feel safe while getting your education, yep. black people like, yeah, we just want funds to build our schools too. So, um, so I also think a lot of black people probably were not applying to Harvard. I think that might have something to okay. do with it. Uh, but he was the first uh, black man to graduate from Harvard in 1870. So that is her father. Okay. Now, her mother was uh, Genevieve Ida Fleet, and she was a homemaker. And actually, she was a socialite from a prominent uh, Washington, D.C. family. Okay. So she comes from uh, Fu she she fancy. Okay. Yes. Now, unfortunately, for whatever reason, it says that her father, Richard T. Greener, abandoned the family. Oh. Uh, when she was very young, and the parents actually divorced uh, around 1896. Oh. So, yeah. So she would have been 13, about 12 yeah. or 13 years old. Um, and after the divorce, her mother and all and the four children dropped the R from the end of their name Uh-oh. to sever all ties with their father, with her father, Richard. Um, and they also agreed to change their last name, uh, to change their names. Um, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. So Belle changed her name to Belle da Costa Green. Okay. And she said she wanted the da Costa, she added the da Costa to reflect her Portuguese ancestry. Oh. Only of the four children and her mother, only her brother Russell also adopted the da Costa name. Okay. Um, her mother uh, changed her maiden name to Van Villet, which implied Dutch ancestry. Yeah. And you want to know why they did all of this? Tell me. Because the family, as a collective, all decided to start passing for white. Oh. You know, what's funny is in my head, I'm like, are they Jewish? Because green is a very typical Jewish yeah. last name. So wow, they decided that's a huge uh, choice. Yes, it was a big it was a huge choice. I think it was made oftentimes when people decided to pass back then. Yeah. Uh, and listen, let me be clear. 
I'm not one of those black people who judge black people, lighter skinned black people for choosing to pass for white in the late 1800s because it would make a huge it would make a huge difference in your circumstances and your opportunities. I get it. But there's a price to passing for white. You have to cut off all um, um, associations or connections to your family. Mm -hmm. Uh, to your past, yep. you also your past. You also have to be on the lookout always for any um, anything that would mark you as different. Um, and depending on the lightness of your your complexion as a black person in America, because again, in America, we have a one drop rule. Yep. So a lot of people are like, only in America do you have black. It's like, well, A, that's not true. But in America, we have a one drop rule. Listen, they started it. So they started it. Yeah. And this is white people's rule. Yep. It's not black people's no, rule. No. It's white people's rule. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's be clear. It's, not, it's their rule. We have a one drop rule in America. Yep. So she, so... Again, they decided as a family. So her mom and her four siblings and her her three siblings and her and the four children just decided to start passing for white, which would make it easier and less lonely, frankly, because if they all agreed upon it, they could stick together as a unit. That's what like every story I've heard is one person moving to a new town and making this huge choice. Um, But as a family, which is like heart wrenching truly it's hard and i understand um i would imagine that uh after the father abandoned them the mother doesn't have a lot of recourse to have money right you know it's not like she can just like work and then she's used to a certain kind of lifestyle so you know again your race directly would influence your opportunities for advancement, for yeah. education, for um, uh, career, anything, for social status, all of it, right? So they decided as a family to pass for white. And beginning in 1905, and they moved to New York City. So they oh. moved from D.C. to New York City. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so they had to leave that behind, which is re- very interesting. I would imagine if her mom is from a prominent D.C. family, and then like what what the reasoning was behind that but they all moved again as a family moved to 19 uh and around 1905 to new york city okay and they show up on the new york uh the 1905 uh census as white wow right now i think that bell chose sort of portuguese because again white people as racist as they were back then they very hard they were very bad at telling who was actually white well they were like racist but stupid so sometimes it works out in in you know in in other people's favor because also a lot of times when black people started to pass they had to not be around other black people because usually black people could clock other black people no matter how light they Mm -hmm. were but white people couldn't clock other black people well, it's, so it's interesting jewish people have a sim it's not the same i know i pass as uh-huh. white everywhere i go but if you see a group of jewish people you know they're jewish they look jewish really? i told you that really? story my friend came to uh, visit me and yeah. i was taking a yiddish class and he's black and he he's like oh i love languages I love, I'll, I'll go with you to class i was like yeah i talked to the teacher teacher's like sure yeah I'm fine. so he's yeah. in class i found the class boring that's me i'm lazy he was so fascinated but we leave the class and he's like oh my god you're jewish you're not white you're jewish and i had this is before all these conversations were happening this was well i was like what 
I said, I, I know. I told I told you I was. <laughs> and see, and see, even that question about like Jewish or white, like are Jewish people white? Are Italians white? All of that. It's like even the white ethnic Jewish people are a white ethnic group, right? Right. But well, to black people, we're like mm, that's white. Well, mm. they're but to white to yeah. to wasp <laughs> <laughs> because I don't look like a wasp. That's and that's what's weird. It doesn't right, mean we don't us, have advantages because we have. But to black people, advantages. we can't tell the difference. We're like yeah. white people can't tell different black people. Yeah. We're like I can't tell the difference. Yeah. No, I know. So, but apparently, white people can't tell. They can tell a Jewish person because they they've been can. looking. They've been hunting for Jewish people. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean. That's that's some hunting that they they're very familiar with. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, so, uh, <laughs> I mean, they have experience. They don't like uh, either of us, Lavetta. We're in the same boat, <laughs> girl. I know. But as as much as they are fixated on black people in this country, white people, especially in the early 1900s, late 1800s, they are very bad at telling who black people are. Right. Yeah. So because of ethnic white people. Right. And then white people being like, uh, are they really white? Uh, but they're not black. OK. Right. So right. she so that's why she chose Da Costa. And she said, oh, I'm Portuguese. So if anybody because I have a feeling that's that smart. even though she's lighter skin, she of her family, she probably was on the darker end. It's all relative in her yes. family. Right. So that's why she would say have to say, oh, I'm Portuguese. And I'm like, that don't mean you can't be black. But to a white person in America but, in 1905. Yes. That would explain away her swarthiness. Like, remember, because it's all a construct. It's all made up, like, really, truly. So that's why it's like. Yeah. You're white, you're not white, you're black, you're not black. Like, like really, we all just, you know, depending on where our, like, thousands of year old ancestors were from is what will tell you kind of what we look like now. Yeah, I'm tired. It's, but she, and I'm sure she was too. So that's why she chose, very I think, Portuguese, okay. right? Yeah. Now her mother, her mother changed her maiden name to Van Villet, like I said, to imply Dutch ancestry, which if you know anything about the Gilded Age, which I love that podcast, mm -hmm. listen to that, mm -hmm. as well as the TV show, the Dutch were, uh, were definitely considered white. Yes. And they were the first uh, colonizers uh, here in America, along with the English uh, and the French. Uh, so... You know, if she said, oh, it's Van Villa is Dutch, yes. that would be like, oh, people would be like, oh, yeah, like because she's white, right? Because at that time, you were not safe if you were Italian. You you were not safe you, if you were Italian. You know, you weren't safe or if you Jewish. were Irish or Jewish. Like, literally, there were signs like, y'all, white people just love to hate. You know, it's fun for them. Maybe. And they only open up the white banner. I'm just saying. With, Sorry. <laughs> well, they only like they only open up the white banner when uh, they need to uh, increase their numbers. <laughs> oh, for sure. Uh, so 100%. it so that's interesting. Again, the whole family chose to do this. So now, again, the, the choice to start living as a white person forced them to make up different uh, things about their background. So instead of coming from D.C., which was also at the time still considered a, a very largely black city, even today, like it is today. Yeah. Um, they said that they came from Alexandria, Virginia. Of course they Again, did. Virginia denoting that kind of thing. Now, her father, so I wasn't, it's not clear if he was completely estranged from them or if he occasionally they heard from him, but he refused to support the children beyond the age of 18. So when she turned 18, hmm. she was unable to afford college 
and which would be befitting of a woman with her pedigree in a lot of ways. So she would at least even black women from well off families would go to school and become school teachers. Now, she was again, she was unable to afford college. So she um, she had to go from graduating to getting a job. And she landed at Princeton University in the library Uh in 1902. Okay. Now, she growing up because, you know, for a time they live again, she comes from a very, uh, you know, um, high society family. Um, So she always loved reading. She loved rare books. She loved like um, she was like a nerd. She was a nerd, basically. Um, And she always but she really, really loved books. So while working at Princeton in the library, she soon mastered uh, cataloging. Oh, she worked in the reference department and she became deeply interested in the library's rare book collection. Okay, so she actually kind of basically found her calling. She was very good at organizing and things like that. And she loved literature and books. And while working at the print at Princeton in the library, she met Junius Spencer Morgan, the second Junius. That's a whole Junius. Well, Junius, what do we have here? Sorry. Now it's my white voice. Junius. (laughs) It's, it's your, it's your, um, it's your, um, Gilded Age. It's my Gilded Age. So yes. you're being those. Yeah. It's my, now, fa- my fancy. Junius. Yes, Junius. If your, fancy, your fancy voice, Junius, which is who was very, very fancy, introduced Belle to his uncle, J. Pierpont Morgan. I knew you were going to say yes. that. I knew J. it. J.P. Morgan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Now, Pierpont. Again, that's a whole school. Pierpont. No wonder he went to JP. Mm. Pierpont. Uh, Sorry. I can. I can who? Go on. Now, now for any confusion, because I got confused at first in my research, Junius Spencer Morgan the first is JP Morgan's father. But Junius Spencer Morgan the second is JP, is Junius Spencer Morgan's uh, grandson. <laughs> Can so, white, not rich people please get a little more creative with naming your children? It's very hard to saying. keep up. Okay. So at first I was like, Junius, no, that's his father. And I was like, oh, no, he's he's number two. So Junius Spencer Morgan II introduced her to J.P. Morgan, who of the J.P. Morgan, that J.P. Morgan. Now, J.P. Morgan at this time had a large but haphazard collection of early books and manuscripts that he wanted to make into a library. Oh, my God. And the uh, Morgan make into Library. A formal- <gasps> Sorry. Yep. I'm so excited. And, ma- and make into a formal collection in New York City. Yes. And that would become the Morgan Library Collection. Now, she, uh, J.P. Morgan was a very feared man. So when she got the opportunity to interview, uh, she she had a lot of charisma, apparently. And she also was good at uh, smoothing uh, things away. Again, this is a woman who's passing for white. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she interviewed and she got the job making $75 a week, which in today's money is about $2,600 a week. Ooh. Yeah, I not bad want, for yeah. a non-college educated woman. Yes, girl. So, now, so from 1905 to about 1908, she worked to bring uh, order to the great collection. Working together with Morgan, uh, they created one of America's uh, great repositories for the artifacts of Western civilization. 
um, you know, with the nerve and knowledge. Oh, go ahead. Just, you know, ragtime. You know, I love musicals. Mm-hmm. I have ragtime in my head right now. Of course. Right? Because it's during that time. <laughs> yep. And that's yep. the whole thing. The JP Library. They're going to blow but it up. But she would not have, <laughs> she would not be seen in public singing ragtime because that's the Negro music. Okay. Sorry. What go became on. the, oh, the ragtime became the basis for American popular music. Yes. So you're welcome, America. Uh, came from the Negroes. Um, now, so together they created one of the most uh, amazing uh, collections. Um, and she and Morgan uh, got along fabulously, apparently. Okay. Uh, but during the time, she brought works by Raphael, Rembrandt, and Michelangelo to the collection. Oh, wow. She paid small fortunes for Egyptian scrolls and outbid the British Museum for ancient tablets and illuminated wonders. Uh, meanwhile, behind the curtain, her secret, she wore uh, sometimes again, because I feel like she was sort of, uh, did you see Passing with I Tessa Thompson? I didn't, but I know. Oh, it's really good. Is it? Okay. I think it's a pretty good adaptation. I, I wondered if, if, if an American, uh, what an American director would have done with it. But I actually, I, I thought it was a pretty good adaptation. Uh, uh, adaptation of the the book because passing is about passing right so tessa thompson plays this woman and it's so interesting because when you watch her and uh oh god who's the irish actress uh i forget her name a black woman um biracial woman ruth nager 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 which her name is mm, i don't know about that name girl in america but anyway <laughs> ruth nager and tessa thompson play the title characters and they're both passing okay but a lot of people said that oh tessa obviously looks black she doesn't look white but it's like again during that time mm-hmm. white people were notoriously bad at telling who was actually black yeah but Tessa Thompson, who is one of my favorite actresses, I think she's fabulous. Uh, she would often pull down the hat, you know, just yeah. certain. It's just like the way she would wear because she was always aware of that, that she could be found out by someone who may who may uh, clock her. So uh, the same thing with Belle. She would wear plumed hats, but she would also dress up in fine clothes because the woman is making $10,000 a month. Okay. Like she can afford to dress well. Listen, okay. I would dress so and, well if I made that money. I mean, yes. And she's a single woman. She's a yeah. career woman who's doing really well. And she is reco- she is uh, quoted as saying, quote, just because I am a librarian doesn't mean I have to dress like one, end quote. Yes, girl. And she's right. Facts. So now her... Her personality, again, she and J.P. Morgan got on fabulously. And he... He gained a lot of trust in her taste and in her judgment. Okay. And he reportedly called her, quote, the cleverest girl I know, end quote. Okay. And she admitted to having, quote, a terrific crush, uh, end quote, on the man. Okay. And she privately called him Big Chief. So they got along fabulously. Um, now, from 1900, by 1908, she was traveling regularly to Europe as his agent, seeking out and purchasing uh, additions to his collection, to the Morgan Library collection. Okay. She worked on these trips to increase her knowledge of books and manuscripts, a pursuit she uh, greatly uh, profited by the tutelage of Sidney Cockrell of the Fitzwilliam Museum in Cambridge, England. Cockrell of Fitzwilliam. 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 
<clears throat> Sorry, something and stuck later, in my throat. Go on. <laughs> I know. We love doing bad British accents. Yeah, and and then later by uh, art historian Bernard Berenson in Italy. Okay. So she herself became well-known and a respected figure to the leading libraries, galleries, and dealers in Europe. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Now, so this woman is living like, her best life. Yes. Okay. And getting all expenses paid to travel to Europe in style. Because again, they think she's white. Yes. A black woman, even though she's a black woman by American standards, would never be able to have this kind of career. I'm sorry. I love that she's duping them all. That makes me so happy. Live your best life. You're in first class, girl. First class. Okay. First class. And and that the Fergie song, first class. <laughs> I mean, so probably. I don't know names of songs or words in songs. I probably know I, that song is like, you know, it's bad. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. So Belle was living first class. Now, in 1913, J.P. Morgan died, which left her at a time sort of in like limbo because J.P. Morgan Jr., hadn't shown a lot of interest in his father's collections. Oh, okay. Um, so it was sort of like, oh, you know, but then also World War One happened. Oh my God, right. So, yeah, so everyone had to buckle down and get into the, the war effort, which she also did. Okay. So, uh, but after the war in 1920, J.P. Morgan Jr. finally started showing interest and he actually, he probably started looking through the stuff and maybe he had time during the war and was like, oh, this is like actually really interesting kind of cool like because at this point they're rich and established so it's like how do you build your legacy right right so he actually asked her to return uh to full-time and taking over everything and he also asked her to return to her european researches uh now, I, so going on trips do go ahead do we what did she do in between like those four years she, in the sense that she worked in the war effort so you know okay. a lot of stuff shut down um, a lot of stuff, you know, if you were not um, in a factory, a woman of her caliber, I would imagine is probably uh, working in nursing, Okay, you know, or volunteering right. in some way, you know, um, again, she's, they think of her as a white woman also. Right. So, uh, but after the war, she returned and it seems like that she probably was working kind of part time, but it seems like, you know, like during the pandemic, a lot of stuff shut down. Yes, that makes so sense. I'm just wondering how she time, got an income. But I'm I'm hoping she was saving her money. Yeah, me too. I'm hoping. Um so but it there's not a lot because she was passing, she burned a lot of things. She, so there aren't a lot of personal papers oh, that we can find. Gotcha. Yeah, exactly. If she were not holding the secret again, this is a huge secret. And there were still whispers about like, oh, she looks a little swarthy. But again, she'd be like, oh, I'm Portuguese. So they were like, oh, okay, she's from Virginia. So, but people had kind of their suspicions. So she really had to play it close to her chest. Yes. So any personal thing that would lead to her real identity, she would burn. Okay. So there aren't a lot of personal papers to know. So I, I, I feel like that's why a lot of this... Uh, a lot of that time, it's hard to kind of track her. Yeah, okay. Uh, it's hard to track her uh, for anything that's not associated with the library. Okay. So, so we know something um, happened in those four years. She was okay. Yeah. And then she's hired yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, Got yeah. it. Okay. She came back. 
And it's not even entirely clear if he he fired her or maybe just kept her on. Because, I mean, these people, you know, $25 a week is not a lot of money to a, J, a Morgan at this time. So who knows? But it sounds like that she also had to buckle down like a lot of people and get in the war effort. Right. And then remember, we have the Spanish flu that hit. Oh, <laughs> so. Yes. That so they had a pandemic, they had a war, and then a pandemic. Okay, yeah. So 1920, she comes back and she's starting to work again. Um, and again, everyone remembers her from her from before the war. Okay, so they're probably happy to get back to you know routine, get back to the way things used to be. Like oh, we've all seen how that happened here. People are very yeah. desperate to get back to routine and the way things were before. Um, now, but again, she was brought back and she was actually given a raise because by 1921, there was a write up in the Omaha Daily Bee that featured her. It was a write up on her okay. that said that she was making $25,000 a year, which was nearly about $400,000 a year by today's standards. Yes, you take that white man's money. Yes. Oh. Reparations, baby. Reparations. Oh, Reparations. So now by by so she was worth every penny, though, by all accounts. So in 1924, she um, she basically uh, J.P. Morgan and her junior J.P. Morgan Jr. and her, they transformed the library into an incorporated and endowed educational institution. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So it 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 formally became an institution and Bell was named the director. Okay. So she had a staff that she oversaw. I love okay. I love that for her. I love that for her. Yes. She held this post for over 24 years. And during this time, she made uh, basically made it a world center for scholarly research, wow. photographic and information services together with programs of lectures and publications were soon established. She had a, a genius for making friendships. She's very charismatic, yeah. obviously as well as for scholarly bibliography and the two qualities together just made this library like something that people had never seen before. And again, it's backed by that JP Morgan uh, finances and riches. Um, But she herself was directly responsible for the success of the institution. Wow. She had a, it, and she had a huge influence on the idea of public access to documents. So basically, really? she came up with the idea of like, instead of scholars having to travel, even in within the country, but also within the world, travel to different places to start making photocopies and making them available to send to scholars and researchers so they could have access to the materials without having to physically travel to see collections. So she's the one that spearheaded this idea. She was very curious and passionate about documenting the creative process as well and to show how the creative process would unfold on the page. So basically, so for instance, let's say Michelangelo, right? He's coming up with uh, an idea for a sketch or something. So he's sketching. Remember, we have all these Michelangelo sketches from other things that he did, right? So you can see the progression of an idea that he had from first rough draft third rough draft to the completion of how it it uh, evolves, the creative process evolved. Because people wrote, wrote down everything back then. Right, they did. Like, 
you know, they would forget, they would have to document it. And somebody as prolific as Michelangelo would definitely have to do that, which is why we have a lot of his manuscripts. So she was very interested in that kind of paperwork, not just the collections or the finished product, but the documentation of a lot of this stuff. That is so cool. That's like my favorite thing. I love like in museum exhibits, Mm -hmm. seeing like what it was in their head and then like, and now this is the David, you know, like I think it's really cool. Because imagine if you could see like a sketch of the statue of David, right? Yeah, right. Like Like, what it, maybe had another idea, maybe had another idea. You, You know what I mean? Like to see that process. So that is what she was also interested in as well as just collecting the finished products. Now this led to the Morgan Library today having over 6,000 years of the creative process documented in their collection. Wow. Damn. That's a long time. So- that's a long time. Now, she continued this work uh, up until... So, she, this woman had a job through the de- the Depression, basically. Oh, yeah, she, she did. She had a job. Now, this happened up until 1936 when her health began to decline. So, she retired uh, having worked for over 43 years at different iterations of the Morgan Library. Wow. Wow. Now, in 1939, her work earned her the position of Fellow of the Medieval Academy of America, being only the second woman and the first, now we know the first person of color to achieve that status. That's amazing. That honor. Wow. Now, in 1948, she eventually retired. In 1949, an exhibition was mounted at the Morgan Library in her honor. This is how much they adored her. That's fantastic. Yep. She earned that shit, yep. you know? Oh, yeah. Worth every penny. So uh, on May 10th, 1950, though, however, she died in New York City at the age of 70. But having lived this amazing, glamorous, she basically was like living her best life, a single traveling, like with means, with the protection of a very, of a uh, basically the equivalent of a billionaire to to, today's standard. Like um, now, unfortunately, because she was passing, Uh, Not a lot is known about her personal life. Uh, Again, she burned her private records before her death. Okay. And she never married. And she may have had a lot of romantic relationships. I did find one source that uh, hinted at that. Some people say she may have had a relationship with uh, J.P. Morgan himself. I wonder. But that has not been uh, verified. Um, But some people think she also may have had a a romance with, again, uh, Bernard Berenson, the art historian whom she met in 1909. So at the beginning um, of her career in a lot of ways and with whom she wrote over 600 letters. Oh, you know, 40 years. Listen, I want this movie. You know, this was like a love. This was like her love. This was like his love and their art. There's art and letters. Yes. I want this art house movie now. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Ready. Now, some people do say that, even though they really connected intellectually, there may have been some, you know, sexual romance because she visited. He had a villa in Italy. Oh, yeah. She went to the um, villa in Italy and got herself some. Yes, she did. And, and got her back blown out. You know. Yeah, she did. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Now, because also some of the letters that they actually have documented have actually Valentine's Day hearts in them. This is what happened. So, And then they went swimming in the ocean. This is what happened in my head. I don't know what happened, but it's what happened in my head. 
Yes. But I mean, again, and like I said, one article said that she probably had a lot of lovers. But again, when you're passing, you have to kind of keep up this wall between you and other people as well. You can't risk having a child. Right. Um, You can't risk. uh, Also, she's she's like she's traveling with the elite class. So if she's going to marry someone, it's going to be within that class. Right. And those people do background checks. Yeah, they do. Those people want to know. Yeah. She knew she couldn't get married. Yeah. You know, especially because she has family members still alive. So it's one thing if she was a complete orphan um, and, you know, with the backing of a JP Morgan and being like, oh, I'm Portuguese. You know, she could have. But she may not have wanted to risk it and she may not have wanted to give up her career because yeah, back then when you'd you married, yeah. you'd have to give up your career. Now, again, you and I know now that she was passing, but when she died in 1950, nobody knew she was passing. So nobody ever knew she she really spent no the rest one, of her life? Wow. It was only after her death when Morgan, J.P. Morgan biographers started uh, probing into her past that they learned the secret. But by Whoa. then, she had been hailed as, quote, the soul of the Morgan Library, <laughs> end quote. So she would see it as a treasure in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So what's you going to do now, know, white people, America? What's you going to do now? <laughs> I know. I know. Um, I mean, when it became a little bit more like not shocking, the uh, biographers uh, marveled that a black woman who was yeah. passing uh, could create such an unlikely partnership with J.P. Morgan. You know, uh, over, you know, or Berenson or any of these other people over their common love of art um, and education and intellect. Um, Yeah. And it's and some people said, you know, one article was like, you know, um, biographers, even in the 1950s, 1960s were like, oh, it it, it doesn't matter. She could she transcended this almost almost because, again, in America, we have a one drop rule. Okay. Uh, now, uh, even though that's not how blood works, but in no, America, no. it's American logic. It's, yeah. <laughs> now, public records of her show a woman of great intelligence and charisma who used her talents to socialize and work in elite academic circles, as well as opening an amazing collection to the general public. She was even she was so popular and well beloved that she was the subject of a portrait by French artist Paul Cesar Hellu, H-E-L-L-E-U. I'm sure I butchered that. Uh-huh. Uh, in 1913, as part oh, really? of his Bell, as as part of his Belle Epoque series, and Belle Epoque is the French equivalent of the Gilded Age in America, right? So you know those fancy sort of like postcards of those those very like chic looking French women. Um, she has her own version of that. That's fantastic uh, with her profile. Yeah, you can find it on if you look for um, Belle da Costa Green, you'll find it. Now in 2018, it saw a resurgence of interest in uh, Belle da Costa Green. In May of that year, the Medieval Academy of America established the Belle da Costa Green Award. For Uh any uh, medievalist of color for travel and research. So they started a a scholarship program. That's fantastic. In November, there was a conference in honor of her work and and her example as a woman who could work the system that she was forced to live within it, Uh um, even though she had to pass. Um, but she managed to carve out a life where she could do the work that she loved uh, in medieval in medieval art and books, but also could inspire a new generation. Yeah, yeah. Um, this this fellowship also was formed. Uh, another fellowship was formed uh, called the 
Bell da Costa Curatorial Fellowship at the Morgan Library that brings early career curators from underrepresented communities into the Morgan working uh, experience. So they get to work in the Morgan Library and get this amazing experience, something that was set out, a path that was set out and plotted out by Bell herself. Wow. That's so... It's, I mean, it's it's really remarkable that she she did this and yeah. that she had to lie about her background to do it. But I I'm glad she did because it it created a a, a prototype of how these collection these collections can inspire the public, how these rich people can actually do some good in life, yes, and to the average <laughs> person and open it up to the public. So not just rich people have access to these materials and research materials and and um, beautiful works of art, but also to this work and the work that it takes to create these beautiful works of art. So that is Belle da Costa Green, my notorious woman. Wow. She's amazing. Like I never, I didn't know any of this. Now we all need to know all of it. I'm not really (laughs) sure why I didn't learn it in, in high school. Actually, I know exactly why I didn't learn it in high school. Just calling this shit out. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah and also this is what people are fighting against today these assholes who are like we don't need to know black history it's not important and it's like this woman was again i love how she just she fooled them all i love it to make to make four hundred thousand dollars a year salary mm-hmm. with like the and have, utmost respect was like the most respected woman like in her times you know, just like going to operas and, mm-hmm. and you know, and she she and, and first class and her like from these boy toy in the villa. Hey, hey. Of, uh, Italy, you know. Yes. Yes. That's what Living I'm her best life. So yes. that is Belle da Costa Green. So that thank is, you for letting me share. Oh, I love her so much. Um, right. Wow. Amazing. Thank you for her. Yeah. OK, so my notorious woman today. Um, mm-hmm. so my children found this book. I wrote the name of the book down called Women Trailblazers of California. And generally, you guys, you can find it at your local Ralph's. It's very sweet. <laughs> I love it. And they got it for me for I think Christmas or my I don't remember. It was a little bit ago. And I was like, oh, let me look at that. Because they were like, mom, do you remember how much I love you? And I was like, yes, baby. I love you, too. So I pulled it out. I literally opened it up. And I found this woman. And I was like, okay, we're going to do her. So have you ever heard of Bridget Biddy Mason? Yes, I have. But tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. She is amazing. I will tell you now that I will not tell you enough about her right now. So when we are done, go find more because she's just the most incredible. Like some of these women are almost unbelievable, mostly because they make me feel bad about myself because they are better than I am. And that's fine. (laughs) I'm good with that. You and me both, sister. Like, I'm a lazy modern woman. You know what I'm saying? What baking show can I watch right now? Well, I scroll through my phone, right? Exactly. So exactly. she was born August 15th, 1818 uh, in Hancock County, Georgia, into slavery, obviously, right? So because of this, her exact birthplace and her exact birth date 
they are unknown, as we talked about earlier, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, when she was a teenager, as a slave, she learned all about domestic skills, agriculture skills. Also, um, the women around her taught her a lot about herbal medicine and, and midwifery. And she was very, very bright, picked it up, was very good. So around 1836, they think, because not a lot of documents for these 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 sales, for lack of a better word, happened. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't write it down. Why? Why didn't you write it down? Aren't you proud of how we're running our country? Mm, okay. Um, but they think she was maybe a wedding present. Mm, mm-hmm. It's disgusting. See, fucking reparations now. Reparations. Yes, I am. <laughs> like, so this as an example, like she was not happy about any of this, just to be clear. Okay. Yeah. Didn't like the slavery. Was not a fan. Wanted it to I not I hate be. slavery. Mm-hmm. I hate slavery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you quoting the the insecure to quote line? our last episode? <laughs> yes. Like, yes. So. Slavery is bad. <laughs> yes, it is. I wrote that line for them. Do you think they'll like it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it's all in the delivery. You're an actress, you know. <laughs> Oh, Lord. Okay. So her new owners were Robert Mays Smith and Rebecca Dorn Smith. She was taken to their plantation in Mississippi. Okay, you, you can't say owners. You have to say colonizers. Yeah. Colonizers. Black Panthers. You're right. Yeah. They're colonizers. Life colonizers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll <laughs> yeah. rephrase. I can always rephrase. Okay. They're colonizers okay. or dickwads. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so many options here. Um, Assholes, Beelzebugs, minions, you know. Douche buckets. You know. Yep. Let's not, exactly. let's not stop ourselves from knowing our options. Okay. Yep. Um, so these dickwads had a plantation in Mississippi and they loved her because she was very skilled. Right. And they were stupid and dumb and unskilled. So it's pathetic. You know what? I, you know what? If you're a descendant of that family, come at me. I'm fine. Um, oh, and you should be fine with it, too. Listen, yeah. I'm sure I got some ancestors. I'm like, oh, they were assholes. Yeah, I know for a fact they have ancestors. <laughs> but it's like we're assholes. We talk about it Christmas every year. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so she had three children. Ellen who was born in about 1838. Uh, Anne, born about 1844, and Harriet, born 1847. Now, one source was like, they think the first baby is her her colonizer. Uh, uh-huh. But probably. the others, they don't know. But like another source is like, yeah. Yeah, he like, he's the daddy to all the babies. Okay. Ugh. Yeah. Um, so missionaries from the... Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints proselytized in Mississippi successfully to Robert and his family. So the Mormons, this is around the time that they were starting their thing. Um, Now, slaves were not allowed to be preached to or baptized without the colonizing douche buckets agreeing to it. So we don't know if like she actually um converted i'm gonna guess okay. not based on what i okay. know about how they how they 
how they felt about slavery and black. I'm sure she wasn't like, ooh, good idea. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Mormons, this is the, um, this is the, people love to say it's complicated. I'm like, it's not complicated. It's just contradictory of Christianity in this country. Like these missionaries could be like, oh, I need to save the heathens, you know, but then it's like, you're not a real person. You're not a full human being. Like, it's just so fucking crazy. Cause I think the, I'm pretty sure the Mormons didn't think black people existed until 1970. I, 1978, they changed their minds about black people. Um, Yeah, so mm -hmm. black people existed in 1978. Okay. Now, I went down into a deep dive of this because I was very curious. So from Mm -hmm. what I gathered based on my research, hashtag not historians. um, So Brigham Young, hold on. I wrote this down. Let me find it because it's good. So, so, so Joseph Smith didn't like slavery very much. He actually railed against it in his writings. What he, let's not get too excited here. What he thought (laughs) was that, um, you should set them free, but like, we don't want to live around them because ill, I'm still a you know, I don't want to get yelled oh. at because it's a religion, but you know what I'm saying. Um, so he Lincoln that shit. He Abraham Lincoln that shit. He, okay, gotcha. Well, he went one step further. He thought maybe relocate them to Texas, which was not part of the United States yet. She so was like, all the black yeah. people can go to Texas, which is still Mexico. Oh, no, Abraham Lincoln was like, let's send them all back to Africa. Oh, like literally. Fully, you know, it's a step better because at least they could stay on the continent. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that's I a mean, long listen, run, you know. I will still take the Emancipation Proclamation. I'll say I'll take it. You know what? Whatever. It's not what exactly what I wanted, but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank God for you it. You know what? Beggars yeah. can't be choosers sometimes. It's better exactly. than not. No. You know. This is why black voters are like, y'all, we ain't gonna get most of, we ain't gonna get most no. of the shit we want, but no. we'll take this. No. We'll take this one. Okay. The greater this is a good. Win. The greater yes. good. God, you guys. Not that hard. No when you're winning. Take the win. <laughs> So, right? Fuck that. Um, just sign the document yeah. to set me free. Thank you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Brigham Young, however, was he was more on board, right? And he was the man in charge at the time. <laughs> to the slavery. He was like, "It's fine. Calm down." Um, and there was like, it was, it was. It's an interesting because like this is when Mormonism was starting, and so it was like they kind of like they kind of wanted to be like oh, no, you shouldn't do that. But also, like, it's fine. <laughs> like, it seems... So, let me get this straight. Mm-hmm. Brigham Young was like, slavery, yes. Women with rights, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, so the the line I said, I think he said he was neither an abolitionist nor a pro- pro-slavery man. He was like, yeah... Um, really? Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. But he can make yeah. a decision on slavery and uh, polygamy. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. very specific okay. about later on, All right. which I'm not going to get into okay. right now. But maybe another podcast. That's a fun conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. So they 
they joined a group of other church members from Mississippi to meet the Mormon exodus from Nauvoo, Illinois in 1847 to go to Salt Lake to build the church. That's a whole, like, you can Google that. That's a whole thing. So they joined that, like, group of people because, um, remember, people were not liking them so much and they were getting, like, you know, thrown out of town. And they started fighting white on white crime. I love it when it shows up in our episode. (laughs) White on white crime. Never fails. Never fails. It's so common. Never fails. It's a real problem, you know? Yeah. I'm glad we're talking about it. Um, So uh, she organized this move. 46 white people, 34 enslaved people. She herded the cattle. She prepared the meals. And she midwifed. Well, remember, she has small children. Um. Wow. And she planted in the town of Cottonwood in the Salt Lake Valley. So like, it's so interesting because there were, there were a lot of slaves that went with them that nobody talks about. Like the, the, I I bet you they're not teaching that in school in the Mormon school. I, I feel like they're not. I would like to teach it. However, right now. Okay. That is mm. how they set their town up. That like the the the, the whole community. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Miriam, so what you're saying is what? Yeah. Is that mm-hmm. the Mormons were able to set up their settlement in Salt Lake City because they brought slave labor. Yes. Is that what you're telling me? Yes. Slave labor. Now, if so, you're like. This far into our podcast episode and are mad about it. Not really sure why you like us so much. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Reparations now. Run us our money. Like, why don't we talk about it? We learn about this happening. Why don't we say they brought their slaves with them? And that's how they were able to successfully set it up. Just say it. We know there's slavery. Yep. Just say it. Yep. We owe. Just say it. We owe reparations jesus christ it's not that hard okay. uh but miriam but make the white kid, it might make the white kids feel bad oh, i don't want them to feel bad no nobody cares how the black kids feel no but... not at all i don't know who what know, are they here out. now no what that's those white babies which is bullshit because no they're afraid they're not afraid that the white kids will feel bad they're afraid that the white kids will come home and be like mommy daddy this is terrible why did we do this white kids aren't gonna feel bad they didn't do anything and they know it exactly (laughs) the kid listen listen to the babies exactly they're They're just like the babies the babies are smarter than the adults 100 percent. they get it they're just like wow my ancestors were stupid glad i'm smarter than that um, and they're like, let's just not do this anymore, mommy, daddy. That's what they're afraid mm-hmm, of. So. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. So Brigham Young sent a group of Mormons to Southern California in 1851. Um, so uh, I read different things in different places. So one thing said that uh, he instructed the group that California was a free state. So their slaves would be free when they arrived. Um Another source tells me that they didn't know that California had yet been inducted into the union uh, in the first place so that no, that they just didn't know. And so I think in their heads, like I'm making this up. I am not a historian and I'm making it up that if they had uh, if they were in California, they'd be closer to to a water source. Right. So the ocean. Right. Oh, and okay. it's the Wild West. They could do what they want. 
right? Because okay. they were, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, so they, it, it could be on one hand, they knew it was maybe, a, uh, you know, because they didn't have cell phones. Yeah. It may be a free state, but because it's the Wild West, they could keep their slaves without right. really following the law. So okay, I'm gotcha. making that up. I do know they wanted California because of the coast. That that was okay. because they were converting people and they were they were actively out in Europe trying to get converts. So they were like, they need a direct route, you know, into America. Okay, gotcha. So this is, I mean, this is allegedly, obviously. We alleged, don't know what, alleged, but, alleged. Yeah. This is based on what yeah. I'm reading. Um, yeah. Uh, so, but basically... Robert moves with his family, takes everyone with him. Um, and sp- basically the, the, what is it? Compromise of 1850, mm-hmm. California, you could not have slaves, but the status of slaves who entered the state was ambiguous. So mm-hmm. you could fight it because technically slavery is not allowed, but a lot of people didn't know they could fight it. A lot of, you know, they had no idea because they're not educated and there's a reason you don't educate people. Okay. Um, well, and also because it was illegal to teach a black person how to read. So let's not forget that. that. Um, yeah. So Robert gets there and he's like, wait, what the fuck? They're free. No, no, no. I don't like this. <laughs> I'm so upset. Um, so reverse, reverse. <laughs> let's not do this. <laughs> but you know, it's hard. There's no planes back then. Um, so she at first did not know what the law was and stayed with him for a bit, for a couple of years. I actually think, and I'm making this up, that she is a slave in America and she has been able to keep her three children with her the whole time. So I oh, have wow. a theory that she was like, whatever will keep my babies with me is what I will do. Like, oh, yeah. Mother yeah. to mother, that was a definite risk. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, but 1856, Smith got a little scared. So he's like, decided to move to Texas. And mm. his plan in his head, this is what I read, was he was going to sell his slaves there. But he told them that he would be, they would be free there. Um, but they started making friends in California. They started meeting people. What the? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Then she's not stupid. This woman is smart. No. Remember, she has been educated by her people. She is birthing babies. She is healing people. She is doing all of this as a slave. They love her. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so they're trying to do the Martha Washington, George Washington thing. Where, yes. Where they're like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. They're trying to do the okie doke because they're like, they're dumb. They don't know. It's like, so they don't talk to other mm-hmm. black people yeah. who are free in that state. So, uh, <laughs> so guess what happened? She uh, was Beatty's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So they became friends with two free black men, Charles Owens and Manuel Manuel Pepper. Manuel Manuel, I think Manuel. Anyways, yeah, it's probably Manuel. And she yeah. suddenly went, oh shit, I might lose my babies. So mm. the men, including sheriffs and others, served Robert Smith with a court order. Because you could take them to court. You could. Mm. Um, A Los Angeles court heard the habeas corpus action regarding her freedom. Roberts was like, no, she really wants to go with me. She's like my best friend. And she like loves me. Um, And then he bribed her lawyer to not show up. But Mm. remember, she's really smart. 
really smart because he's desperate. She's so brilliant, right? He wants to hold on and he's an asshole. Asshat. He's also in the vulnerable state. He's in a free state. Yeah. And even the other white people are like, mm. So sometimes, nah, sometimes the movie has a happy ending. It does happen. Yeah. So here's what happened. Even though she was not allowed to testify in court. Why? Because you could not testify in court against a white person if you were black or Native American or probably anything they didn't feel like. But in general, black people, Native Americans could not speak in a court. Okay. So she remained silent throughout the entire trial. And then he failed to show up in court. So... The judge really? presiding over the case, Benjamin Ignacio Hayes, I'm going to give him all the credit, freed her and her family members. The whole family is free. Her and her three daughters, free. I told you, sometimes there's a happy ending. I wonder why he didn't show up. I I have a feeling he tried to, to bribe the, the lawyer and thought it didn't need to. He was a oh. white man getting his way his whole okay. life. It was probably out okay. of his realm of possibility that he was going to lose her. That's my theory. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so in 1860, so this was 1856. In 1860, she received a certified copy of the document that guaranteed her freedom. Yes. Okay. So it's it's very sweet. She had no legal last name because she was a slave. So after yeah. she was free, she used the last name Biddy Mason. So that's why she's Bridget Biddy Mason. I'm just throwing that out there. Gotcha. So after she's free, her and her daughters move in with Robert Owens. Robert was the uh, father of Charles Owens, who was the free man who helped them uh, serve oh, papers. I mean, may, may have been a romance, maybe. Well, her daughter know. Ellen would eventually marry Charles. Okay. Oh, okay. So she worked in Los Angeles as a nurse and a midwife. She delivered hundreds of babies during her career. She was the go-to woman for anyone of any color, any ethnicity, whatever. You could go to her and she would treat you well. She was a safe person to have your baby with, which is huge. Um, yeah. She also had her knowledge, right, of her herbal remedies. There was a smallpox epidemic around this time, and she risked her life to go help people. And she was fine. She never got sick. Um, she was also one of the first black women to own land in Los Angeles. That's right, baby. Do mm -hmm. you know what I'm talking about? She bought... Uh, her first house and a large lot on Spring Street, L.A. for $250. Okay. Ooh, that's a lot of money. I know, right? But she saved, she scrimped, she saved, she worked hard. Because remember, like, she's suddenly making money and keeping it. She's yeah, living in someone she's else's house. Yeah, free. She was, <laughs> <So> right? <laughs> Turns out, she should have been getting a six-figure salary the whole time. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep. So she was really, really smart. She taught her children and her grandchildren to pay attention, to be smart about this, and to invest. So, um, which is funny because that area, that Spring Street, if you know, it's downtown LA. It's mm -hmm. right in the center of things. It was considered out of town at the time she bought it. And like in her lifetime, pretty soon it became the financial district of Los Angeles. Oh, wow. Um, 
she played the property game with such ingenuity. She amassed a relatively large fortune, which she shared with charities. She fed and sheltered the poor. She visited prisoners. She was instrumental in founding a traveler's aid center and a school and daycare center for black children. And it was open to any child who had nowhere to go. Right. It was, it was just, which, you know, people think California, Los Angeles, uh, you're super liberal. No, No. man. It was not not, everywhere. Not everywhere. Still not everywhere. Um, yeah. But, um, this was necessary. So many, yeah. many people called her Auntie Mason or Grandma Mason because she was such Aww. a giving soul. Um, in 1872, her and her son-in-law, Charles, um, and a few other black residents of Los Angeles, um, founded the first African Methodist Episcopal Church of Los Angeles, which was the city's first black church. Um, she donated the land to build the church on because at this point she ha- I didn't go into everything she did in real estate but she was buying up the city and she has kept I s- think there are still parts of Los Angeles that are owned by her wow. ancestors that they kept that created that generational wealth from slavery to uh, real estate mogul I mean wow. right mogul and she they, wow. was the most giving, kind, generous person after all that she had been through. Um, so this is just a fun little fact. I swear this will end one day. Uh, her daughter had married Charles. They, oh, I love it. They had uh-huh. two sons, Robert Curry and Henry Louis. Um, Robert Curry was noted for many decades as the wealthiest black man in Los Angeles. He later engaged in politics and real estate. He went on to own the Owens Block, which was a two-story brick building built on Broadway in the early 1890s that became the first black-owned business building in downtown Los Angeles. So what I love is that because she was so generous in spirit, that she just she it wasn't that she just got for her she got for her community and for generations mm-hmm. to come mm-hmm. she is amazing yep um in on january 15th 1891 she died at the age of 72 which is a nice long life in yeah years before it'd be nice to have gotten another 15 yeah exactly yeah. but wow but I I'm could glad have she had longer. comforted her life. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like going from uh, bondage to like being a rich ass, a rich, a boss woman. Okay. She was a, a boss bo- lady. Mm-hmm. She owned a boss town. Lady. You know so, what I'm saying? Yes. Um, wow. So she was celebrated on Biddy Mason Day, November 16th, 1989. Um, and a ceremony at the Broadway Springs Center unveiled a memorial to highlight her achievements. Um and Biddy Mason Park is near the site of her home um, and the site of an art installation describing her life. Oh, I love this. Isn't she amazing? Biddy Mason. Oh, wow. I love, love, love this. She, you know, it's a testament to these women. Like, you know, for me, what I love that they both left legacies that help you know, uh, with Belle through her work. Yes. Within, in education and yes. access, 
do stuff that only rich people had access to. And uh, I'm sorry, what is Miss uh, Mason's first name? Bridget. Again? Bridget. 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 Bridget Biddy Mason. Um, Grandma Mason. Her not only because it's, it's one thing if she had just been like, I got rich. I'm only going to do for me. Right. And just hoarded all her money. But, you know, to donate the land for the AME church. Right. You know, to donate uh, to open up uh, organizations to help kids for schools and things like that. That's how her legacy lives on. Like she used what she she used her for good fortunes uh, to help others as well. And that is really the I think the most important part of their legacy is that they left so much for those who are still enjoying the you know mm-hmm. from their heart who are benefiting from their hard work so I think that that's a beautiful beautiful legacy to leave she's incredible yeah and honestly it's the spirit of black history month to we it's not just to be like oh black people to shit um because it is very cool to be black um but it's also to remind those kids who may be in circumstances that they don't they don't see that there's a way out of that they can achieve and be who who they want is to highlight the achievements of people who were up against even more obstacles yeah you know um so uh that's really the spirit of black history month so i just yeah, I just thank you so much for sharing that story. Totally. Thank you. I'd like to thank my children for buying me the book. Yeah. But I felt like oh, it was fate because I just took the book and I opened it and there she was saying, there please talk was. about me. And I was like, okay, let's do this. That's right. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. And thank you, audience, for uh, enjoying our podcast and listening and downloading and following us and doing all the things, Mm -hmm. which we will ask you to continue to do as we wrap up this latest episode of Notorious Women podcast. Again, you can follow us on all the things. We encourage you to copy the link and send it to your friends if you think that they would, and your loved ones, if you think they would enjoy the podcast because we enjoy and we love doing it. Yes, we do. Um, um, and you can also support the show by through our Patreon. We're going to beef that up. Now that I'm back, baby, <laughs> I got more time. Uh, so we're going to be beefing that up. But in the meantime, if you want to support the show financially, you can do that for as little as, as $2 a month at patreon.com. Or you can do a one-time payment of $10, $20, $50, $100, $100,000. $100, mm-hmm. We'll take it. Listen, it, I would be is reparations... <laughs> And I, I would say I'm sharing this with my friend. Yeah, you're giving it to Lavetta. I don't. Yes. <laughs> so reparations. <laughs> if you want to support a black lady, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm here to, to support Lavetta as well. <laughs> Listen, run us our money, and just you can write it off on your taxes. Mm. Reparations. <laughs> write it <Yes>. off. <laughs> it's reparations. Right, right off. Yeah, I'm literally right that. Okay. No, I think so. I think everyone should do that. Honestly, now, I don't know if Uncle Sam gonna uh, agree, but you can try. You can try. Okay, try. You can try. It's about so, time. <laughs> and you can do that at Patreon.com/slash/NotoriousWomen. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com/slash/NotoriousWomen. And Miriam, how else can they support the show? They can follow us on the Instagram and the TikTok both of which are Notorious Women Podcast. Um, come join us. Come talk to us. Because I like to talk to people. I just, yeah. I'm I just, it's obnoxious, really. Um, you can DM us uh, at, uh, on Instagram, Notorious Women Podcast. You can also email uh, at NotoriousWMPod at gmail.com. 
Um, and don't forget our YouTube channel. You can also listen to episodes there and talk to us there. Yeah, that's uh, and leave a comment. Leave a comment. Yeah. DM us. Uh, and because we love that, because we want to interact with you guys, and yes. also send us any suggestions that you of ladies that you want us to cover. So, uh, all right, guys, we will see you next week. That's Thank right. you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.